All right, a little audience participation here. When you see the cross, what comes to mind? Jesus. What else? Anything else? A tattoo. A tattoo? <laughs> there are people that have a cross tattoo, yeah. Yeah. Sacrifice. Suffering. Yeah. Easter. Forgiveness. Love. Yeah. Healing. What? He's not on it anymore, right? This, this is empty intentionally, yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that come to mind, and, and a lot of them positive, right, because of, of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and appropriately so. However, in Jesus' day, this was not a positive symbol at all. This was a symbol of death, and not just death, a very painful, torturous death. Suffering. You mentioned suffering, I think, Steve, and, and absolutely. Jesus suffered and died. And that's, you know, when you, when you saw the cross, uh, when you heard about the cross, no one wanted anything to do with this, okay? And so when you look at verses like Luke 9, 23, uh, Matthew's account, Mark's account as well, uh, when Jesus said, take up your cross, for the disciples, for everybody listening, they would have shuddered to hear that. Remember, this is before he goes to the cross. And so to hear those words would have been disturbing to anyone listening, and appropriately so. However, what we see is that while, yes, it was a very painful, torturous death, Jesus takes the cross and gives it a whole new meaning. He gives it a different, for us even, thinking about the cross while we do agonize over the suffering of Jesus, there's hope within it. There is new life. There is forgiveness. There is joy even in the cross because of what we receive as a result of Jesus' sacrifice and, of course, his resurrection, having new life in Christ. And so this series that we are are looking at, just a three-week short series, we're going to look at what Jesus truly means when he takes the cross and he applies it to all followers. And I just want to start, we see this in three Gospels. We see it in Matthew, Mark, and of course Luke. Um, I want to look at each of their accounts, okay? Let's just read through these together. Matthew 16, starting verse 24 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me or follow me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? All accounts are similar with a few differences. Let's look at Mark. Chapter 8, verse 34, summoning the crowd along with his disciples... He said to them, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? Very similar to Matthew so far, right? What can a man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me, here's Mark giving us a little bit more here. Whoever is ashamed of me. And of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I mean, this is about complete and total commitment 
to Christ. We know that by these verses. And then Luke 9.23. Luke adds a, a word that I think is very important, that I think is implied in all of these accounts. Verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I think that's implied in all of them. And that's why I zero in on that. This is a daily commitment. This isn't just a one and done thing. Okay. This Jesus is talking about each day, taking up your cross, following me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me, Luke includes this as well. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. So if you look at Luke chapter 9 specifically, if you go back to verse 22, Jesus is explaining, he does this a couple of times, but he's really ramping it up here because uh, he's, he's trying to get his disciples to understand what uh, he's here for. And when he goes to the cross, the resurrection, it'll all click for them, but he's explaining to them th his death. Uh, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders. He said, chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. I mean, he's absolutely spells it out there for him, doesn't he? It's clear, though, the disciples still don't quite get it, uh, partly because uh, they, you know, their immaturity, unbelief, but partly because these things were still hidden from them. They, they weren't, it wasn't time for them to understand everything yet. Um, but he's, he's sharing with them, again, his destiny, his, his mission. He's here to be the sacrifice. He will be killed. He will be raised from the, on the third day. He'll lay down his life and be raised from the dead. But Jesus doesn't stop with a private announcement. There's intent here. He's not stopping with a private announcement about his own death. He then goes on to make a public declaration about a cross for every disciple. And again, when they hear this, um, it must have been, it, it must have sounded like to everybody there, him trying to talk people out of following him. Because what he's doing here is he's encouraging people to count the cost the commitment that's required of being a follower of Christ. Yes, salvation is beautiful and it is free and it is a gift. But if I'm going to receive salvation, I must be willing to commit completely to following Christ and to living the life he has for me, not my own. And, and so this public declaration, um, he's giving everybody a cross to bear, so to speak. And in Matthew, we see Matthew's account is part of the reason he's doing this is he's responding to Peter, his desire to protect Jesus from suffering. He's, you know, this is, Jesus is saying, this is God's, the Father's plan for salvation. And by the way, we're all going to have to, all followers of, of me will have to take up a cross. Every disciple. Now, it's important to understand here, Jesus is talking about discipleship, not sonship. It's not that if I take up my cross, I'll earn salvation. It's, it's talking about, what he's talking about here is discipleship. It is, you know, we're not, we're not saved from our sins because we take up a cross. We are saved because we trust the Savior who died on the cross for our sins. Salvation is by faith, uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is his work of salvation, his work of sacrifice, his resurrection that we are saved. So it's not about earning points with God. It's not about, you know, our being a sacrifice for our own sins. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about 
discipleship. This is a call to discipleship. So here's the way to look at the 923 call. I zeroed in on 923 again. Uh, this is a daily call. Uh, and it sounds good, the 923 call, right? Easy to remember. But here's, here's the point of this series. The 923 call is a call to give up your life each day in complete submission to Jesus Christ and his will. Exactly what that says, to give up my life each day. Not getting saved over and over again, but each day submitting my life to Christ, living in submission. Because, yes, we submit to Christ in receiving salvation. You have to, to surrender your life to him. But what you find as a believer is that every day I have to make a commitment to submit to him because, you know, the flesh gets in the way. My ego, my desire to do things my way, it's lordship, it's daily commitment. And so living each day in submission to his will, we submit to him, surrender to his will, we become his disciples. And really the closest word that we have in our language for discipleship is, or disciple is apprentice. It's more than just being a student and learning. It is being a student who lives with the teacher and learns from the teacher each day. Um, that's the idea here. It's getting in the yoke with Jesus and learning from him, serving uh, alongside him, but under his authority as he teaches me. It's being a student who lives constantly in submission and, and as a student learning from him. It's a daily discipline. We follow Jesus a step at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time. And really, that's the only way we can live life, isn't it? One day at a time. We can talk about, you know, and we plan for the future, and we as a church have a vision for the future as my life, but it boils down to we don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so we live each day in submission and trusting and, and having faith in Christ. So how do we live out this? Our goal all along should be to glorify Christ. Um, that's the goal living in submission to him. So how do we live out the 923 call? What does it mean? Well, we're going to attempt to answer that question over the next three uh, weeks in this series, what it means to live out the 923 call. We're starting today with the call to walk in selflessness. So the call to walk in selflessness is the, is the topic of today. So what does that mean? Well, in order to walk in selflessness, first I have to walk in self-denial. If anyone would come after me, he must do what? Deny himself. Self-denial. What does that really mean? Well, again, our goal is to glorify God. And so we look at 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So my life should be about glorifying God. Everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I do, I should have the motivation of glorifying Christ. Well, in order to do that, my life cannot be about me. My life has to be about Christ and his kingdom purposes. Here, we need the proper perspective, all right? With each of these points, we're going to have a, a perspective that we need to take. And here's the first perspective. Look at this with me. As a Christian, I understand that I was not created for myself, all right? I was not created for myself. God has created me with talents, spiritual gifts, and abilities with the purpose of advancing his kingdom, not my own agenda. I mean, it's, it's for his purpose, his glory, his kingdom. If I'm going to be a disciple, if I'm going to be a cross-bearing disciple, the first step is that I need to realize that this life, you know, there's many blessings in being a child of God, right? 
There's so much joy. There's so much fulfillment. But in order to receive and experience that, I first have to realize that, hey, this, is, this life is not about me. Yes, God created me for a relationship. God created me to love me. But don't forget, God created to bring glory and honor to his name. And, and he deserves it. And that includes all of his creation should glorify his name. That includes my life. Sin messes that up. But if I'm going to be in right fellowship with him, the first thing I need to realize is that it's not about me. And hey, listen, in salvation, I've got to realize it's not about me because I'm the one that messed it up in the first place. All right, I've got to give up on that and my way of doing things, my life. I've got to surrender to him. But it's not about me. It's about Christ. I need to realize that. My goal should be to glorify him in all that I do. God does not center his world around us. This is an illusion that we tend to all fall into at some point. We get the idea because we are self-centered, okay? And we get the idea that the world centers around us, that we are the center of our own universe. And then we get the idea at times that God, he, that we are the, the center of his universe. Now listen, he loves us unconditionally. He loves us with a perfect love, but we are not the center of his universe, Okay. We are here to glorify him, not the other way around. And we get the idea that life should be bent in every way toward our own will, our own desires. And that is a skewed, flawed, sinful perspective. And if we can't get out of that, then we will never fulfill God's plan. We will never see the world the way that God does. We need to first realize, and this is part of submission, self-denial. It is, I'm giving my life up, my way of doing things, my agenda, and I'm centering, I'm putting Christ in the center of my life. And in doing so, he is Lord. He is ruler. He is king over my life. He calls the shots, not me. And so, Lord, I want to live my life for you in complete and total submission to you for your sake, for the sake of your name, and for your glory. We center our lives around him. So how do we do that? Well, what's the first step? Anyone who follows Jesus has to deny himself, just as Jesus said. We give up our lives. We set aside our own agendas. We make him Lord, and we make glorifying him our primary motivation. Now, in order to do this, we need to change our focus, all right? We need to have a different focus. I have a mirror right here, all right? We were cleaning out my parents' old house. They're finally selling their old house, and we were cleaning some stuff out, and I found this mirror, and just so happened I needed one for an illustration, so I'm using it, all right? Um, but that's why it looks a little rough for the wear. It's been around a few years. But when I look in this mirror, all I can see is me. I can't see your faces and peripheral, but I can't see your faces. I can't see anything outside. I see my eyes, my nose, my mouth, all of that. But I, I mean, my, my scope is limited, right? I can't see, I can't be in tune to what's going on with you. All I can see is my reflection. I can't see Christ. I can't see, you know, I'm focused on me and I'm thinking about me because what we see is what we focus on, right? And that's in order to follow Christ and have him in the center of my life to live a life of self-denial, I've got to get my focus off on me, off of me, and I've got to put the mirror down. I need to, you know, image is overrated. You know, Jesus is talking about this 2,000 years ago. Evidently, that's been a problem for 2,000 plus years. We tend to focus on ourselves. If we're truly going to be followers of Christ, we've got to change our focus. We've got to get our focus off of ourselves our own desires, our own interests. And it's okay to want things. And listen, we all need things, but it can't be the main thing. 
my desire, my agenda. I've got to put the mirror down, take my focus off of me, and put it on Jesus Christ. Because having too much of a focus on myself leads me to ask questions like, what will people think? Um, how will my actions look to those who are closest to me? You know, what will they think about me if I do this? What would their judgment be? What about my reputation? Those are the type of questions that come if I'm focused on my image and not on Christ. I've got to put the mirror down. Jesus says that if we want to follow him, we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves. We've got to take our eyes off ourselves and gain a new vision. But here's what happens. Here's, here's what's so great about this. When we take our focus off of ourselves, we are able to see the Lord working in the lives of other people and join him in that work. If all I'm doing is walking around like this all the time, I won't see somebody in need over here. I won't see that person that I can show just a kind, loving action, touch in their lives. But if I put it down and I'm looking at life through the lens that Jesus Christ gives me through his eyes, then I will see those people. Acts chapter 8 is a great example. Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's so in tune to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, all right, Philip, you go south. And Philip's going, he obeys immediately. He's walking. He's so in tune. He's living life on mission. He's looking at the world through Jesus' eyes. He sees this Ethiopian. Now, many of us, we would, the Ethiopian and his chariot would pass. We might say hi. We might wave. We might not pay attention to what he's doing. But Philip, he's led by the Spirit. He sees the Ethiopian. He's studying the scriptures. And what does Philip do? He, he asks he, he engages. He knows, he recognizes, the, the Spirit leads him. He recognizes that this Ethiopian is a seeking sinner. He is reading the prophet Isaiah. He doesn't understand. He asks. Philip is willing to take time with him, to engage with him. He asks him to explain it. Philip takes time to explain what the scriptures mean. He explains salvation. Philip is a willing witness. You've got a seeking sinner and a willing witness who's living on mission for God. Something great's about to happen here. And that's what happens. Philip shares the gospel. He leads the Ethiopian to Christ. And I love this. You know, we, you know, we tend to complicate things, but the Ethiopian says, hey, there's some water. Can I get dunked right now? Can I get baptized? What's keeping me from getting baptized? He's, his life has been changed. Philip shares the gospel. He baptizes them, him. And then what happens immediately after that? Immediately, Philip is taken away. And the next thing we see, he's preaching the gospel again. He never stops. He lives on mission. Philip's life was not about Philip. Philip's life was led by the Spirit. He lived in submission to God, and he lived a missional lifestyle. That's what taking up our cross means. It's living life on God's terms, his way. He's the sinner, not on my terms. And when God says, go, I go. You know, Philip could have said, hey, I've got a pretty good preaching ministry going on here. What do you want me to go south for? But no, he followed the Lord. He submitted to the Lord. He lived life on mission. Jesus, you know, to, we need to live on mission. In order to do that, we got to be able to look at the world and others through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus had a vision. He had vision. He lived on mission. His vision while on this earth was to complete his God-ordained, the Father's will for him, his God-ordained mission. He was here to do the Father's will. And he lived in submission to the Father. He modeled submission for us. He concentrated on God's agenda for his life to the point in the garden, if, there, if it be possible for this cup to pass from me, 
yet not my will, your will be done. He lived in submission to the Father. And we, we need to have that. Now that Jesus has been raised from the dead, he saved us, set us apart, he's given us that same mission. And we need to live on God's agenda. We need to live on mission for him to build his kingdom, not our own. God created us for his purposes. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. His workmanship created to do his good works, which he prepared long ago in advance. So in order to follow Jesus, we have to walk a path of self-denial. Self-denial, deny yourself, Jesus says. Then we walk in submission. We submit. We live a life of submission. Um, that, that's, that's the call. That's the requirement. If I'm truly going to live the life that God has for me, live on mission, live out his, his mission that he left for me and called me to, taking up my cross means I deny myself and I submit to him completely. So again, we need the proper perspective here. If we're going to do this, we've got to have the proper perspective. As a Christian, I understand that God has placed everyone under authority. We're all under authority. I will surrender myself to the authority of my parents. If your parents are still alive, even if you're grown, I still, you know, yesterday I was working with my dad all day long. All right, we were working at his house. Guess who was calling the shots yesterday? It wasn't me. <laughs> it was my dad. He told us to do things. Now, he, you'd have to ask him if I did it perfectly, obeyed him perfectly. But he called, there was, there, listen, there was a, a, a hierarchy on display. My dad was telling me what to do, and then I'd tell Timmy what to do. It was perfect, <laughs> right? If I didn't want to do it, I got Timmy to do it. It was great. But there's, there's authority there. So it begins, you know, it, it, every day it's with my parents. If your parents are still alive, they have authority. Respect that authority. Uh, church leaders, governmental authority, governmental leaders, and others so that God will be glorified through my lifestyle. God establishes authority in our world. We don't like authority. Many have a problem with authority, but nonetheless, biblically, God establishes authority. Listen, even those that you disagree with in leadership, you don't have to agree with everything they say. And we'll talk about when it's time not to obey authority, all right? Because there is a place for that. But even those we disagree with, we respect the fact that God has allowed them to be there for a reason, all right? The best thing we can do is pray for them and be good law-abiding citizens. That's one of the ways that we display our faith is by living as good citizens. It's not the only way, but it's one way. Now, I want to show you a picture. How many of you ever had G.I. Joes growing up? We got some G.I. Joes? Yeah, G.I. Joe. I, I had some. I wasn't, you know, a huge fan. But G.I. Joe is kind of like the, the, the guy's version of Barbie, all right? Nobody likes to talk about it, but, I mean, it's an action figure. It's, it's a doll, okay? But they're cool. I mean, there's all kinds of accessories. And in 1975, the GI, makers of G.I. Joe came out with this submarine. This submarine is the Seawolf submarine. And it was huge. I mean, you got, you got this little thing, this little pump thing that you, you can make it go underwater. You've got a little viewfinder. You look down in the water. If you look real close, you can see G.I. Joe. He's actually, I'm not sure why he has goggles on inside the submarine, but he's got goggles. So you have that accessory too. But here's the deal about this. Before this, G.I. Joe was limited. His missions, he can only go underwater for a few minutes. So if he's going to save the world, he had to do it above water. This was a game changer. 
He now has a submarine. So now he can, I mean, his, his, his abilities are expanded incredibly, right? He's able to, to, to complete entire missions underwater without coming up for air. Without that, he's got to come up for air. This was incredible, and it enhanced his capabilities. Now, bear with me here. All right, you're going to think this is a stretch, and maybe it is, but bear with me. Just as the engineers of G.I. Joe, the submarine, designed this vessel to facilitate a fantasy underwater mission, God has established a vessel for you and me to facilitate our real life. That's the key here. (laughs) Real life, as opposed to fantasy, our real life third millennium mission. We have a mission. But we need, just like G.I. Joe, he's limited without that submarine. If we don't use the vessel that God's given us, we will not be able to, our, our mission capabilities are going to be limited here, okay? All right? He's got a submarine. Our vessel is submission. We've got to submit. Now, if you look at Webster's New World College Dictionary, the prefix sub means under, beneath, or below, all right? Pretty, pretty easy to draw that conclusion. The word mission means being sent out with authority to perform a special service, to preach, teach, and convert. So take those two things and put them together, submission. Those two things, it is living under the authority of God. He's calling the shots. He is directing the mission. And in doing that, living under the authority of God, by his power, by his strength, his direction, I'm proclaiming the gospel. I'm teaching. I'm sharing. I'm living life on mission. It is a mission under the authority, all right? The vessel is submission. If I'm going to be successful, I've got to submit to God. I've got to, that's how God facilitates success in the mission he's given me. I live under his authority. Without submission, you have no authority as a missionary to preach, teach, or do anything. It is the authority of God, not my own. Again, the the, the first part, denying self, is so important here because he has to be the sender. It can't be about me and my abilities and my agenda. He has to be the one calling the shots and providing the the power and authority. But if I can get myself in that position of self-denial and submitting myself to him, then I'll be successful on the mission that he's given me. It works together. When Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross, deny yourself is so vitally important. Because you can't take up your cross daily. You can't follow him successfully without first submitting to him and living each day. This is why this is a daily thing, because we struggle with authority. We struggle with, hey, I think that this should go this way. Lord, I'm praying. You're not answering. And, 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 it, and a lot of times I, I keep praying the wrong way because I think I know how things should go. And God's saying, no, I want you to submit to me and let me take you in a different direction here. It may not fit what I think is right. It may not fit what I think is best, but it is good and it is right because he says it's best. When we take those two things, sub and mission, and put them together, just as water is the best environment for good old G.I. Joe, submission is the best environment for us to accomplish God's purpose for our lives and the mission that he's given us to live as cross-bearing disciples. We need to, and listen, this covers two areas here, okay? There's earthly authority that we, we learn to submit to God by submitting to earthly authority. Our parents are the first lesson, the first environment we learn that in, right? Um, our, our earthly fathers and mothers. So we, we, we submit, and the Bible's clear about earthly authority. In the Roman army, 
A centurion commanded six groups of 100 men. And so when you see Matthew chapter 8, the centurion there, he comes to Jesus. He's asking for healing from his servant. And he, he's used to, at the same time, a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion would be both over people and under authority. So he understood authority completely. And he tells Jesus, he, Jesus says, I'll come and heal your servant. And he says, uh, the Lord says to the centurion, uh, I'll come to your home. And, 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 and he says, I'm not worthy for you to come to my home. He says, you just say the word and it'll be, my servant will be cured. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go and he goes. And to the other, come and he comes. And to my slave, do this and he does it. Verse 10, hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, I assure you, I've not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. He's displaying his faith. He's used to being under authority. So, so submitting to authority is not a problem for him. And he, he recognizes authority in Christ. And he's saying, if you say it, it's going to happen. And so Jesus is, is seeing his faith here. And of course, his servant is healed. God establishes earthly authorities. Now look at Romans chapter 13. Every person, verse 1, is to be in subjection to governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever rests, and by the way, that's the reason we can have peace in the midst of our chaotic world. And the world's a little bit chaotic right now, right? Not just from a pandemic standpoint, from a political standpoint, from a worldwide, but, but we can rest in the fact that God's allowed this to happen. This is part of his overall plan for his kingdom, all right? may not be what we like, and, and throughout Scripture, we see sometimes suffering, sometimes you know, his wrath, sometimes I'm not trying to place his wrath on any particular thing. That's for him to decide, not me. But I'm just saying that even when there's chaos, we can rest in the fact that God's still in complete control. He's on his throne. We can have faith and trust in that. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authority, if God's ordained it, if I resist authority, whoever does that has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So according to Scripture, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. There's no authority except that which God has established. God has established the authorities that exist. Consequently, the one who rebels against authority, according to these verses, is rebelling against God. And those who do so bring, ask for God's judgment. I mean, if you're going to rebel against the authorities he's established. So obedience to earthly authority is directly connected to my love for Christ. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus says that. So think about this. The way I obey or don't obey, whether or not I do, is a reflection of my love for Christ. How do people know? Let's look at three ways people know you love Jesus. Three ways. How do people know you love Jesus? Well, one is that God's word makes itself at home in your life. Do you have a passion and a hunger for God's word? And are you living according to God's word? Is it evident? Is the fruit coming out in your life? John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So abiding in the word of God, it's, it's, it's Bible study, it is memorization, meditating on scripture, and then living it out, applying it to my life. That's what it means to abide in the word of God. So God's word's, word makes itself at home in my life. Number two, you have God-type love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, John 13, 35, your love for one another, Jesus says, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. We have a supernatural freakish love for each other, okay, that goes beyond human ability. It's more than emotion. It's about commitment. 
all right? It's submission. You're more important than me. I'm putting your needs above my own. It's all of those things. First Corinthians 13 type of love for each other. That's another way people know I love Jesus, by my love for his people. And then number three, whatever God asks you to do, you do with a heartbeat of obedience. Heartbeat. Because I firmly believe that any hesitation in obedience is disobedience. It's either you obey or you don't. Now, again, none of us are perfect. I am not perfect in this. There have been times where I have struggled and God has had to get my attention in more severe ways because I did not do this. I did not obey with a heartbeat of obedience or respond with a heartbeat of obedience. A heartbeat's just that quick, right? That's how quick our obedience should be. We should obey instantly. John 15, 14, people will know you're my disciples if you love each other, but also if you do what I command. And one of the things that God commands, among a lot of things that we do, he commands that we honor the authority he's established on earth. But here's the thing, it's for our own good. We talked about guardrails. God sets up boundaries for us for a reason. Authority is for our own good. It's not about oppression. Now, some people have abused it, used it to oppress. It's not about oppression, it's about protection. It's for our own good. Rules, regulations, laws, authority. I mean, even in God's creation, there's a created order. And it's for our own good. It's not to oppress us. When you're underneath authority, you're under protection. Authority puts protective wall, a protective wall between me and Satan. And when I step outside of the authority that God has ordained, then I'm making myself vulnerable, more vulnerable to his attacks. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Rebelling against God or disobeying him because you are proud is just as bad as worshiping idols or asking them for advice. It's putting myself on the throne of my heart. And there was a story about a, a teenager who decided he was going to run away from home. And he said, was asked, why are you running away from home? And he, his answer was his parents told him when to get up, when to eat, when to go to bed, when to be home. All these rules he had to follow. He wanted to get away from that. So the, the person talking to him said, when, where, where are you wanting to go? He said, I'm going to go join the Marines. Because <laughs> you don't have to do any of that there, right? <laughs> and, you know, that's, that, we want to call the shots in our life. We want to do things our way. And the problem is, is we don't really know what's best for us. We don't have a clue. Only God knows what's best. Everybody has to answer to authority. You're no different than anybody else. Everybody in this, even, you know, the president of the United States, whether he realizes it or not, has to answer to the authority of God. We all have authority in our lives, and we have to answer to that authority. Jesus submitted to, he set the example, he submitted to earthly authority when he obeyed his parents and he paid his taxes, right? He recognized earthly authority. So there's earthly authority, but then there's heavenly authority, which, of course, supersedes that. Above all, heavenly authority. In Mark 8, because the centurion operated both with and under authority, he easily understood Jesus' authority, right? That's why Jesus, he, he, Jesus had both earthly and heavenly authority, and the centurion recognized that. Because he walked in submission, Jesus did to the Father, he had authority to heal the Roman centurion's servant. The Bible tells us that Jesus marveled, he recognized, he honored the faith of the centurion. Where did Jesus see that faith? Think about it. He saw faith in this follower who honored God's system of submission. He honored authority. He saw it in Jesus. He recognized it. 
And he obeyed that authority. Our submission to heavenly authority also shows our love for God. Look at John 14, 15 again. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. But then 1 John 2, 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So I think we can all agree that God is, he is the ultimate authority, right? Whether we practice it or not, that's a different story, but we would all say that probably. Uh, And so we recognize honoring heavenly authority is, is important. We may struggle a little bit more with the earthly authority. So the question is, are there times where we should not obey earthly authority? And the answer is yes. Anytime that earthly authority is asking you to deny God or to disobey God, then that's the time where you disobey earthly authority. And there are those times. We see it in Scripture. We see it in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are brought before the council. They're preaching the gospel. The council tells them, Acts 4, 18, they called the apostles back, commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Well, that would be disobeying the Great Commission, what God had had purposed them to do. So Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? That's a place where you disobey earthly authority. Moses' parents, the king ordered that all infants be killed. But what what do Moses' parents do? They disobey the king. They disobey the ruler, the, the Egyptian ruler, because that would have been contrary to God's, his law, thou shalt not murder, but also God's plan for them. Moses' parents, Hebrews eleven twenty three. because they had faith, they kept him hidden until he was three, month old, three months old. They saw that he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's orders. The ruler of Egypt, he, again, ordered ma- uh, slaughter, an entire nation to kill Israelite baby boys. So his parents disobeyed earthly authority. And by the way, that was after the midwives had, they were supposed to kill the baby when it was born. They had disobeyed earthly authority. Don't forget to give them props for their, their obedience to God. So there are times where we disobey authority. If it ever contradicts God's word, or it's calling us, asking us to do something that's clearly against what God tells us to do, but we still recognize authority. We submit to God above all else. He is the center. He has to be the center. Now, in these crazy times that we live, and it is crazy, there's a lot going on, when things get out of control, what's our first instinct? If the car's going all over the place and you're in the driver's seat, what do you want to do? Panic. (laughs) Yeah. You want to grab the wheel, right? Or even if you're in the car and somebody else is driving and things aren't going your way, the instinct is to either tell them what to do or, or even grab the wheel, right? We want to take control. That's what we want to do. When life is crazy, we want to take control. But the problem is, is that control, none of us ever really have control. Control is an illusion. It is, I mean, there's only one being, one person who's in control, and that is God himself. You know, taking control, me attempting to take control of my life is foolish. Now, this is similar to an illustration I've done before, but I want to use it again. I mean, a, little, a variation, all right? I've got here a wonderful invention that I love, my universal remote control. It can control anything. It, there are things in my house that it could control that I haven't programmed it con- to control. It can control anything. You know, any, any home theater equipment that I have, this thing controls. If I wanted it to, it could even control my air conditioner. I just don't have that set up. 
If I was willing to invest in some, uh, some, some smart devices like Amazon, Alexa, I, it could control lights. This has the ability to do that. It could control numerous things. And it, it's, it's convenient. It's easy, especially if you're a home theater nut like I am. You got 15 components. It's all right here. You push one button, it can turn everything. You can program it to turn everything on. Now, let's say you've got this at your house, all right? I come over to your house, and because I'm the pastor and you love me, you invite me over for dinner, right? So I come over to your house, and the first thing I do is I go grab your remote. I sit in your favorite chair, and I start watching whatever I want, which is probably going to be Andy Griffith, as loud as I want to. And I decide while I'm doing that, I'm going to turn on your stereo and listen to whatever music I want, which, you know, the right thing to say is, is praise and worship, but it's probably going to be 80s music if it's me, because I like 80s music. Just, you know, loud, obnoxious. Um, even if it is praise and worship, I'm just loud as I want to, right? So I'm doing whatever, I'm watching whatever I want, and you're probably okay with that for a little while, just to be nice. But this goes on for a while. After a while, I, you know, I say, what's for dinner? I'm a, you know, whether I'm invited to or not, I'm staying for dinner. Dinner's over with, and I say, all right, what room am I sleeping in? And by this time, you're going, all right, now, he's a pastor, but I, this is, you know, your, your patience is starting to wear thin. And let's say your remote does control your air conditioner, and I like it ice cold at night, so I turn it down to, like, 55. <laughs> and you say about that time, pastor, I think it might be time for you to go home. And I, I tell you, I have no intention of ever leaving or ever giving you your remote control back. This is, I'll, I'm, I'll want to have control. Now, by this time, you're frustrated, right? I don't care who you are, how much you like that person, your patience is going to wear out at some point. You're going to want your remote control back, and you're going to want me to go back to my house and stay there. You are frustrated because somebody else has control of your stuff. Now, imagine how much it grieves the Spirit of God when we try to take control and maintain control of our lives. Because that's what we do. It's like we got this universal remote that we're trying to control. We're trying to call the shots, and God sees the big picture. We only see what's going on right now. We see chaos around. We see hurt. We see sickness. We see suffering. There's good, too, but there's a lot of concerning things. And we try to take control, but we have a limited view. And God's saying, I see the big picture. This is all lining up with my kingdom purposes and my plan ultimately to establish my kingdom for all of eternity. And, and, and when they're here, we're going to try to take control. I mean, that, you know, God, God gets angry. It's righteous anger, but that makes him angry when we do that. And if we continue to do that, He's going to get to the point to where he's going to correct us. He's going to punish us. He's going to discipline us, and it won't be pleasant. That's why Jesus says on the front end, listen, before you follow me, it seems like he's trying to talk us out of it. And he's not trying to talk us out of it, but he's saying count the cost. You need to understand before you follow me, this is what's required. If you're really going to be my follower, number one, you've got to deny yourself. It can't be about you. You're not calling the shots. You've got to surrender completely to me. And give up your life completely to me. Live in total submission to me. The 923 call is about obedience. It is about submission. In order to follow Jesus, we have to walk the path of submission. We have to lose sight of our own reputation. We've got to change our vision. We've got to change our focus. Take our eyes off ourselves. 
Put it on Jesus. Focus on him. Concentrate on fulfilling his plan, his way. So the question today, as we finish this first installment, is do you have a vision for the kingdom of God? Do you have his vision in your life? If not, why not? It could be that you don't have a relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship with him, you need to submit for the first time. He's inviting you to receive salvation, and you can do that. If you will accept salvation, surrender your life to him, you can have the salvation that he offers, that he accomplished on the cross. If you are a child of God and you don't have a kingdom vision, it's a good chance it's because you're not living in submission. You're not using the vessel that he's given you. You have to submit daily, and that's the challenge for all of us. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer, and you just let the Holy Spirit show you. You what, What is it? If you're not living out the 923 call, if you are, praise God, keep submitting daily. If you're not, why not? Is it salvation? He's inviting you to receive it today. Jesus paid the penalty so you wouldn't have to. If it's about obedience, daily submission, you know, what is it that you need to let go of? Control, the illusion of control, a specific area of your life, several areas, what is it? Father, we come before you today. Speak to our hearts. Show us your desire and how we should respond to this word to this call on our lives. What is it that you want us to do? Is it salvation? Is there somebody here at home who's never received the gift of salvation? Lord, I pray that they would cry out right now, understanding that you died for their sins, that you are the only one that can provide salvation, that you provide that through your death on the cross and your resurrection three days later. All they have to do is cry out to you, invite you into their lives and surrender their life to you. Lord, come into my life and forgive me of sin. I turn over my life to you and ask you to save me. That's all they have to do is cry out right now where they are. They don't have to have all the answers. We'll help them find answers on what to do next. But if that's, if there's a person out there that you are drawing to, their, to, to yourself, I pray that they would receive that gift of salvation. Lord, for those of us who know you, are we living out the 923 call? If not, we start today with denial of self and submitting to you, walking in submission to you and the authorities that you've placed in our lives. Lord, may we live in complete obedience, whatever that takes. If there's something hindering our ability to do that, I pray that we would submit that, that we would turn that over to you, lay it at your feet, repent of that, of that disobedience, and commit ourselves today, tomorrow, the next day, each step, each day at a time, living your way. You are calling the shots. You are at the center. It's for your name, the sake of your name, for your honor and your glory, not our own. Lord, I pray that we would live truly, on mission, on your mission in this life. How do you want us to respond, Father? Help us to respond, speak to us, and Lord, may we respond with a heartbeat of obedience. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?